Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hi, everybody. It's May the 3rd, 2018, and it's time for my private audio call tonight. Our special guest speaker is David Merrill, famous for the Money Trust video that you've seen on YouTube and other things. Hi. Hi, David. How are you? Uh, Hi. Good to be here. (laughs) I'm glad you're here and you made it and you sound good. So what are you going to talk to us tonight about? Well, I've got a new video out called The Joy of Redemption in Two Minutes or Less. And actually, I've got the, the meat of it in one minute. And so I just go through some of the real condensed source documentation. And uh, it's a much shorter video this way and uh, can keep the attention span. So that's what I was really after is to for somebody to be able to learn the meat of redemption of lawful money and redemption in general within a minute. So that's what I was trying for. I was asked recently to uh, really express what it is that makes me so passionate about my career field. It's a self-designed career field. I call it drafting remedy. And um, it's turned in lately into real geopolitical social engineering uh, regarding the oaths of office and, and some of the, uh, uh, well, maneuverings around through international law. And so I was kind of getting away from back to the common man working and getting redeemed from lawful money. And then when I was given the opportunity to uh, express what makes me passionate about it, that that resulted in a a video that is an hour and 16 minutes long, and it's just really condensed. I have call-outs and, you know, the text on the screen that uh, explains some of the source documentation on the screen, and then I speak very quickly in it. And I just... Uh, I was able to express myself appropriately to my satisfaction, but I got a feeling that uh, many people just can't uh, stick with it for an hour and 16 minutes with some of the things that I go into as far as what really the explorations into metaphysics that make it so exciting for me. So what I did was uh, condensed it down to less than a minute. That was my objective, and, and I'd like to play that. And what I think I'll do is, is uh, you tell me if you can hear um, this? Uh, well, let's see. I can I can hold my uh, earbud up to the uh, speaker of the video and play the video on my computer. I'm going to try that in just a moment here. So you tell me what the quality is when I come back on. Okay. All right. mm-hmm. Can you understand any of that, Angela? I couldn't even hear any of that. I don't even know. Oh, really? All I heard, I didn't hear any of it at all. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm going to just try it one more time and see, see if that helps.
silence. I hear a little bit of static, but that's about it. You can't, you can't understand any of that? I hear okay. no words at all. Okay. Then I, I guess that's not going to work very well at all. So let me think if there's another way I can do this. I can give you a tiny URL, and uh, that would be, you know, um, for anybody who's at their computer. So I think well, what I, I'll do okay. is I'll just go ahead and... and uh, and go through the, the video and through the source documentation and give you descriptions. Now, this tiny URL is, is uh, Fed Remedy. Okay, so if you type in a tiny URL and get that, um, it's a uh, web service that will uh, redact large URLs, uh, links to uh, small ones. It's called tiny URL. And if you put in after that, a tiny URL you put in um, let's see, Fed Remedy, one word. Yeah. Is there a, 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 a forward slash or anything like that in between yeah. there? Or? Yeah. Yeah, after tinyurl.com, there's a forward slash. Tinyurl.com forward slash then, Fed yeah, Remedy. Put in Fed Remedy and see if you come up with a, a video about the joy of redemption in two minutes or less. All right, let me see if I can paste. Yeah, comes right up. Okay. And it's on YouTube. Okay. Well, great. Now, well, hold on a second. Now, do you want me to play it on my end and maybe yeah, everybody good, can hear it? Just so, yeah, just so that everybody can hear it. That's the objective. All right, it's and only a two-minute deal. Yeah. So let me know if you can hear it, okay, David? Um, well, okay. everybody, well, well, see, I've I, got everybody unmuted. Hold on a second. Hold on. Okay. LaFan, I'm going to unmute you, chat. Tell me if you can hear the video, okay? I'm going to play it in a minute here. Did you want to intro anything, David? Well, no, just start at the beginning. That'll be fine. Okay. The joy of redemption in two minutes or less. Okay, let me start it from the beginning. Let me turn up my volume here. And so there should be no problem. When asked to produce a video describing why I find drafting remedy for people so exciting, I produced a brief career autobiography. It may be found at a tiny URL by typing in DMV Patroon in all uppercase letters. It is so packed with source documentation, both audio and call-out text, that anybody watching it might dedicate a full day to understanding it and still be scratching at the surface of so many topics that I'm sure people viewing it are quickly setting it aside. The hour and 15-minute video was something I needed to distill my passions down into this production. It will only take up about one minute of your time, I promise, beginning right now. The Federal Reserve Act was written in 1913 for member banks and included the remedy for any member bank to make the demand for gold and to cash in Federal Reserve notes for gold. In 1933, the 20-year charter came due and there was a run on the Fed because of fractional lending. And because of fractional lending, there was no longer near enough gold to cover all the notes. FDR used war measures to call in all the nation's gold and notes and offered a new deal where anybody could become a member bank within this new trust. The law was amended from redeeming gold to redeeming lawful money on demand. Signing this naked contract is called endorsement. 
Title 12 U.S.C. Section 411 is still law today, and one can easily learn how to make that demand at every transaction for electronic transfers and trust accounts by authorized signature, including the demand. This excludes any person, U.S. citizen or not, from using the Fed's private credit currency and thus acquiring a tax liability and responsibility for reporting this use by the 1040 tax return. If, like most Americans, you work for somebody else, then your employer is required to send IRS withholdings into an IRS account, presuming that you're very poor at saving money to pay your yearly income tax. If you redeem lawful money by demand throughout the tax year, then the IRS will gladly pay you a refund of your entire withholdings on account. Well, at least they will because the law requires it. Who cares, really, how the IRS feels about it? Thank you for this minute of your time. Hello. Thank you, Angela. I got a report that um, it's coming through loud and clear on the on your call. Yeah, it's it. That's what they said. Okay, great. Oh, 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 hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. Okay, because okay. I was getting the ne- It was on. It's on auto play, so I was getting the next one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's the uh, probably the autobiography, uh, the career autobiography that I prepared. Anyway, that, that's pretty interesting, at least to me, <laughs> and uh, it goes into some of the higher metaphysics and some of the spiritual ascension that even comes along with the uh, concept of redemption, which is the very same uh, concept that has been applied in the law by Congress. And so that's the exciting part of that. Um, was the Can you speak up a little bit, though, David? It's, oh, okay. you're, you're sort of fading out a little. Okay, I think what I can do is turn off the earbud and uh, go. Can't hear you at all now. (laughs) Uh, Did we lose you? Oh, my God. Yep, we lost you, David. Is that, I just unmuted you, guest number seven. Did you want to say something? Guest number seven, you had your hand up. Did you want to say something? Okay, then I will just mute you back out. And we'll wait for, <laughs> you know, if I could bring you bring him in on Skype, I would, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't have him on my Skype. Oh, wait. Who is, oh. I don't have him on my Skype. Damn it. <sighs> I should have him on my Skype. Oh, there he is. Yeah, I'm back. Are you back? <laughs> well, okay, I don't know what I'm you back. did, but you disconnected yourself. No, I I was trying to disconnect the, the earbud, and that just hung up on the call. So you know, I can bad. I can bring you into the call via Skype. You can. If that, That'd yeah, be because but I but I don't have your phone number or. I don't have you in my Skype. Okay, try and find, I think it's David Merrill 3. 
Okay. Uh, okay, I've got, uh, there, I guess that's you. Okay, hold on a second. David Merrill 3, you haven't chatted on Skype yet. Mm. Uh, how do I make it happen? (laughs) I think you invite me to chat. I'm trying. (laughs) Okay. Hi, David. Let me see here. Uh, waiting for David Merrill to accept invitation. Okay, let's see. I just don't see that invitation quite yet. Okay. And I think you'd probably be more comfortable if you had your headset on, right? Mm, well. Instead of holding the phone up? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. just waiting for the invitation to come through. I think that should happen pretty quick here. Okay. It's, oh, I'm, uh, my name isn't, it's Victoria Warrior. Okay. Let's see if that helps. You're looking for Angela Stark. It isn't going to (laughs) happen. Okay, let's see. Calls working now on the cell phone, right? Yeah, we can just go oh. it, go with that the way it is. Okay. All right, then um, I'm going to go back. Sounds to real the, good. So. Okay. Um, Michael Joseph is looking to get on the call. He's in East North Carolina. Um, I see someone has their hand up. It just says guest seven. Hey, uh, you ready for that? There is that is. you? Is that my Please you, unmute my chat. Is that you, Michael? I'm Frank. Oh, okay. That's, that's the wrong East North Carolina. Then. Oh, well, I that's guess seven. Not it doesn't say okay. East anything. Oh, okay. Uh, Michael, if you're on the call, press star eight, and that'll put your hand up. I don't know if he's on yet. Um, go ahead, Michael. Well, I'm David. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm going to go ahead and move on. Then the uh, the first image that I have here is about the definition of member bank, and this was kind of important in the uh, development of who gets to be a member bank. And they took down the uh, the requirements and. Uh, for being a member bank and get yourself licensed as a member bank in 1933 so that everybody could become member banks. That means that you're trading in a private credit, um, the credit currency of the private Federal Reserve. And once you're trading in that, when you endorse the private credit, what you're doing is promising not to redeem lawful money and to just pass that along as an insurance policy ready to make a claim on to the grocer or whoever you're you're handing those bills to. And so by uh, taking down the requirements for uh, member banks, oh, okay, um, 
it sounds like um, Michael Joseph is on the line, and he's going to listen for now. And he, he has a way of, uh, he, well, he knows me and my journey. Um, we've been on this journey together for quite a few years, so he'll have some good questions that will help uh, direct toward uh, the student out there who's learning about this, how to pick it up and making it practical in your life. So I'm going to go back to speaking till uh, about, oh, another 20 minutes, I think, and uh, mm -hmm. speak about this, this video where I've condensed the, uh, the remedy into source materials. Okay, now, in the Federal Reserve Act itself, it says the term member bank shall be held to mean any national bank, state bank, or bank or trust company. Okay, so I, I guess if you were to categorize people endorsing private credit from the Fed, they'd be like a private trust company that is allowed in since 1933. <clears throat> in 1933, the 20-year charter for the Federal Reserve System came due for uh, basically an inspection, but what was going to happen there in 1933, and FDR knew this, was everybody was going to come in and redeem their gold on a bank run because there was a lot more notes out than there was gold to redeem. And so they'd been, um, you know, stretching and, and fractionalizing the, uh, the currency and putting out way too many notes. So that's when you have a bank run is when people come in to collect their notes in the substance and uh, the substance is going to run out long before all the notes have been uh, redeemed. And so the bank on the run or the run on the bank, excuse me, was uh, anticipated in 1933 and, and FDR. What he did was uh, he made a, uh, a bank or a gold seizure across the United States telling everybody you got to turn in your gold for these Federal Reserve notes and we, we'll take your gold and if you don't, it's illegal. But what was done really in the uh, to make it legal was that uh, – the requirements to become a member bank were basically dropped. All you had to do to become a member bank was to trust your paychecks into, instead of a demanding substance or lawful money, you'd be getting Federal Reserve notes. And that's what started happening in 1933. So that's one of the, the first images that I have in the video. Now, um, if you type in the Fed remedy like Angela did, <clears throat> then what you're going to find is, uh, the video, and you can follow this along yourself. So I'm at the 46 second mark right now. And uh, it would go up to, say, the 51 second mark. We got no issues. And they this is the way it read from 1913 to 1933. They shall be redeemed in gold on demand at the Treasury Department of the United States. Okay, they're talking about they shall be redeemed on gold or in gold. They shall they shall be redeemed in gold on demand at the Treasury Department of the United States. Now they is a pronoun, of course. Uh, what we find two sentences before is we're talking about Federal Reserve notes. That would be what you really would assume. We're still talking about Federal Reserve notes from two sentences before. But the real exciting thing that I found about the metaphysics is that this they can also appertain to people and it really makes a lot more sense that we're talking about the redemption of people from a false balances system. The first sentence of the Federal Reserve Act itself says that it's to furnish an elastic currency. So you know it's not an honest currency right there. It's elastic. 
stretched and contracted. And uh, it, basically the value is whatever the Fed decides is, is going to be the value. So you can print more bills or you can uh, raise the prime rate for lending or you can restrict how many, you know, what the exchange rate is going to be internationally even. And so you can regulate the value of these notes at will and create, uh, you know, basically uh, sustainable debt in other words, which is kind of an absurdity. And the sustainable debt is really a, a guilt-based system. So the people can be they in this statute. They shall be redeemed in gold. So the people shall be redeemed in gold by asking for your Federal Reserve notes to be exchanged back into gold. You are actually getting out of the false balances system of the Federal Reserve. Now, this was happening between 1913 and 1933. After that, it was changed. They shall be redeemed in lawful money on demand when FDR demanded that uh, the Americans return their gold on a war statute called the Trading with the Enemy Act from 1917. He used the war statute to declare war on the Great Depression in his inaugural address in 1933. So I'm just uh, really trying to um, decondense this, uh, you know, the video from one minute and explain what you can pause and, and uh, see for yourself when you uh, load the YouTube video. So that's at the 52-second mark where I'm pointing out where what it said in 1913 to 1933. And then the next image is from the story of banking. Or no, it's the story of money. Oh. It, it was actually published from the uh, New York Fed and uh, is no longer available. I, I got 30 of them and passed them out at one of the early law club meetings that we were uh, having back in Colorado Springs back in the late 90s. But uh, they were giving out these uh, comic books, and it shows banks with a $100 bill, um, coming in and, and uh, you know, as a deposit, and then $90 goes out in a loan, and then the next bank, the $90 goes, goes in, and it's got $81 coming out. And so it's describing what fractional lending does and how the, the Federal Reserve can use fractional lending and ra regulate the prime rate and, and the uh, amount of notes that the, it prints up in order to create money uh, it's not really created out of thin air, but it's created, uh, they, they actually regulate the amount of currency that goes into circulation. And so this is uh, the fractional lending scheme is actually a way to uh, uh, really keep and sustain debt. And uh, because you, uh, you always have to keep the amount of circulation currency going and growing in order to, to maintain this, uh, this fractional lending and national debt, too. Now, if we move on to the one minute five mark. Okay, here's where um, FDR pulled out the old war statute. And he says, the old war statute of 1917 had not been repealed, and we used it. Okay, so he's using the Trading with the Enemy Act on a actually a bogus war. I mean, there wasn't 
the the Great Depression wasn't an enemy. It wasn't capable of thought in in the same sense that uh, that you would be uh, using this war statute called the Trading with the Enemy Act. Now, the Trading with the Enemy Act was incorporated into the uh, Bankers Code at Title 12, uh, Sections 95, 95A and B, and uh, the you know that area of the Bankers Code. And this uh, Trading with the Enemy Act was uh, really a misuse of the war statute. But FDR had to do something, and his his real mission of the whole New Deal was to save the Fed from this run that was happening after the 20-year charter expired on the on the original trust. So I'm going to move on to. The one minute and 14 second uh, mark. And uh, what we're doing is endorsing private credit from the Fed. Okay, that's my uh, call out note. And we're putting that on uh, a document. Yeah, so in 1933, the statute itself, the Federal Reserve Act, was amended to say they shall be redeemed in lawful money on demand at the US at the Treasury Department of the United States. So instead of gold now you could redeem these Federal Reserve notes in lawful money. Now a lot of people say well Federal Reserve notes themselves are lawful money and no they're legal tender and both United States notes and um, Federal Reserve notes are legal tender. I mean, they can be used to pay debts, public and private, but you can tell by the grammar here that they're definitely two different things. Now, this is a key point, is that U.S. notes are not to be used as, um, as for, for fractional lending. They can't be used as a reserve currency. And there's only, there's a limitation to how many can be printed at any one time of $300 million in U.S. notes. Now, this is important to realize the difference between the legal tender of Federal Reserve notes and the uh, the lawful money of the U.S. note. And even though the U.S. notes are no longer in print since 1971, um, they were the, the Treasury decided that U.S. notes function every bit as well as Federal Reserve notes and vice versa. So they took the U.S. notes out of circulation. They quit putting more into circulation, in other words. So when you redeem Federal Reserve notes, um, and you, you're actually getting Federal Reserve notes in the, or you're actually getting United States notes in the form of Federal Reserve notes. And it's hard to comprehend this because now we don't have any precious metal um, in circulation. And so it's kind of hard to comprehend how, even though it says Federal Reserve notes across the top, you're actually holding in your hand U.S. notes in the form of Federal Reserve notes. But once you can get your mind wrapped around it, <clears throat> that Federal Reserve notes are redeemed in lawful money, and all you need to do is demand the lawful money, then you've fulfilled your portion of the law. You've made your demand. And so, therefore, the legal instrument that you're using is your demand not what 
the currency is that you're holding. So, in other words, let's see, I can kind of sh share a, a story about a credit union. And there was a, a large amount of uh, trusts that were opened. And, you know, that's something that I show later in this short video even is that um, on your signature card, you can actually open a personal or a trust account with making making your demand on the signature card as your authorized signature. And so therefore all the transactions in that account can be considered to be redemption in lawful money, all the transactions. And once you do this, um, well, this credit union had a large amount of, of trust accounts in it. And at first the manager, management was asking um, the, some of the trustees to come in and, and telling them, you got to quit this demand for lawful money. And so the, um, the trustees were saying, well, no, uh, we can sign any way we please. That's uh, our domain is how we sign. And they said, well, could you please shut down the accounts then? And so some of the trustees were agreeable. Yeah, we can shut down the accounts. But then very shortly after that, there was a bunch of people uh, that were terminated um, and the entire chain went under. So what we're seeing is that when you demand your lawful money, you're actually specifying what's called a special account or special deposit. And the special deposit means that they're supposed to take that, those Federal Reserve notes or whatever currency it is, and put those into the vault and just keep those there for you for your use. That's what special deposit is. It's, it's like this money belongs to him. It's special segregated money. And what that means is they can't use it for fractional lending. They can't expand the national debt and, and so forth. They can't use it for this, uh, like a, the little cartoon over the earlier minute mark where the bank is taking $100 and putting out 90 in loans and then taking that 90 in loans and putting out $81 or taking 90 in deposits and then putting out uh, $81 in uh, loans. So this fractional lending can't be done with your money. But if they're doing that anyway, what they're doing is um, actually, well, they're breaking the law and they're also um, affecting the risk management of the from the office of the comptroller of the currency. And that's who manages these banks and that's undoubtedly who was behind um, supervising and telling them, hey, you, you can't be doing this with your credit union because you're affecting the, the insurance policies and the risk management of, of our fractional lending in America. So um, that's just one example of where we start to see the effects of the law as they come about. Now, maybe I should uh, show uh, just simply that uh, why, why you'd be interested in learning what I'm talking about is that if you work for somebody and you have your deposits, um, your, your part of your money is uh, held in withholdings, and there's a large account, maybe five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 by April 15th when it comes time to um, file a tax return, and this account is held by your employer so that um, in case you can't save up the money over the year, you kind of presumed to not be very good, efficient at saving up for this uh, 
tax return time when you have to pay the taxes. So your return is actually the the withholdings is is presumed to to be able to cover and more your tax liability for the year, and you get a refund of what's left over out of this account that was held in trust for you by the IRS. Now, the reason you'd want to be redeeming lawful money for the entire tax year is that at the end of the tax year, when you fill out your tax return, you get the entire amount of those withholdings returned to you. And so that's pretty important. Um, It's like a 33% pay raise right there um, when you get this withholdings back and you get it back without any argument from the IRS if you can demonstrate that you've been redeeming lawful money by demand through the entire tax year and you can uh, demonstrate that you basically know what it is you're doing. I mean, if you have the confidence and you have the, uh, the vocabulary to be able to express it on your tax return, they'll not only return it, they won't come and bother you about it. And if they delay returning it, sometimes they'll even add penalties and uh, the fines for, uh, you know, late fees as though you were late in returning. You know, I mean, if you if you file your uh, return late, then you have to pay extra withholdings and or you have to pay extra fines and penalties. Well, they'll pay that back to you upon your return for keeping your money away from you. It's only fair. So this shows the contemplation. And then one of the things that builds confidence is that um, this contemplation by the IRS is sometimes before the suitor, uh, I'm going to use that term, I can explain it a little later. Before the suitor um, starts redeeming lawful money, there may be a tax liability already accrued. And once the suitor begins redeeming lawful money, then the IRS will sometimes take the refunds and use that against the previous tax liability until that tax liability is paid off, and then they start returning the refunds to you. And so that shows that they understand exactly what's going on with this redemption process. Well, I think um, with that covered, I'm going to take a look at some of the images on the video. And I'm um, sorry about the uh, the communications problems. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, because uh, it might have disrupted some of the um, continuity. Yeah. Now at about the uh, 1 minute and 26 second uh, mark, we find a redemption stamp, and you can get these made up at at Office Mart or whatever, and uh, you can get the rubber stamp there and start using that for your signature. Um, Sometimes, well, for a long time, I was using it above my signature, uh, but then uh, I just started using it as my signature, and it started working well with the the ATMs. That's where I wanted to try it, because the ATMs don't talk back to you. But uh, just the same... um, after I was doing it with the ATMs, that built up this confidence. And I, I do believe that that's noteworthy to mention is once you understand what you're doing, and, and I really uh, would encourage you to get on lawfulmoneytrust.com or savingthesuitorsclub.net and really start looking into this, especially if you're 
desiring a 30% pay raise and getting that with the IRS blessing behind it. So um, this, uh, once you really start knowing what you're doing, it does seem like your presentation actually gives the bank tellers and the IRS and the State Departments of Revenue the permission to go ahead and abide in, abide in the law, you know, and to be law-abiding uh, entities and people. Um, so but David, they, yeah. let me ask you, if you don't have a bank account and you cash your check at a ca- check-cashing place, are they mm-hmm. going to give you any problem with that? No, I don't think so. Um, especially a check cashing place. Now, if you don't have a bank account, but you're getting a paycheck, then your boss has probably got a, an account bank, you know, that he's drawing your paycheck on. So you can just go to the tellers at his bank. You know, they'll charge you. They charge you five bucks to cash the check if it's a well, business the account. Places, yeah. Well, the check cashing places. Yeah. Well, check cashing places do too. Yeah, you're right. They charge even more. Well, yeah, Angela, can you guys yeah, hear me? Yeah, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to just say something. I, I have been teaching people how to do this for years and have been enjoying, you know, opting out of the IRS for since 2006. Um, and, you know, he, of course, if you go to your boss's bank, you might pay the teller $6, but that's nothing compared to 30% at the end of the year. So, uh, sure. you know, you, you need to, you know, people get wrapped around the axle over $6, but uh, I, it's, it's, when you think of the bigger picture, it, it's nothing. And, and it, if, if um, I have taught so many people local to me how to go to their boss's bank and just cash the check at his bank or even go to Walmart. your boss is the state of California and there's no bank on the check? Go to Walmart. And- Got a Walmart. Walmart. There you go. <laughs> uh, I can't tell yeah, you how many times I've cashed a check at Walmart. So what? Oh sure. You know, if they want three dollars, give it to them. You know, it's it's uh, in the in the end, it's it's you, you you get to keep a record of what you're doing. Sure. You always make a copy of the front and back of the check before you negotiate it, and uh, and you keep an administrative record on your end. Um, so okay, I'm gonna move, move back out. So you make okay. a copy of the check after you've endorsed it and oh, yeah. it back. you want to be you yeah. want to be keeping a record of this. Yeah. Huh? You want to keep a record of every transaction and otherwise uh you're just not a quarter record. Which is another part of this that's very exciting is that you become the quarter record and that's what I've been dealing with with the oaths of offices is that uh there's basically no federal judges that are bonded. And so it becomes a uh, very uh tricky matter to in, to even uh, arraign anybody anymore if they're aware of the uh, the bonding process and and you, the bonding process by what I, by that I mean you become aware of the functions of money I mean that's what bonding is it's a monetary promise of good behavior and if that monetary promise isn't there then you don't really have a judge you have a, a basically an adjudicator in equity and uh, it has to be by consent of the parties. But back to what Michael Joseph was saying, if you were to become a stickler, and I haven't done this myself, but I've heard it works, okay, from people um, where I'm at, uh, a lot of people tell me their success stories and interesting anecdotes and and, uh, so forth. But if you were to stand there at the counter and say, 
do you have my boss's permission to be taking money out of my paycheck? You know, that would that would be uh, a way to uh, get them to reconsider. And, and usually what I've heard is then they say, well, next time we're going to charge you $6, you know, and so, and then they, they waive the fee. But, hey, you know, like Michael Joseph says, why are you going to get uh, uh, troubled over the $6 oh, yeah. if you're getting your paycheck and you're actually um, going to be getting a very big paycheck out of your withholdings? Then the next part of that is after there's you file, right? Yeah, after you file your return. But then what if you don't file, though? Well, I then you're you probably self-employed. <laughs> now, if you don't have enough money in the withholdings account to make it worth, uh, worth, worth the trouble, then you just don't bother. But people that are, who are self-employed, for instance, um, sometimes they'll file simply to make, because there's these uh, 1099 contractor forms and other reporting that's done by your clients. If you're self-employed, you, then your clients become your boss. But you you may have four or five uh, bosses that are called clients or contractors that um, have hired you during the year, and they are reporting your uh, your income and to the IRS. And so if you don't report through the uh, return process, then it's possible that you can end up. It, maybe it'll take a year or two, but you can end up with an IRS agent presuming that you earned that much money on the reports that your clients have turned in on you. They're reporting about you, how much they paid you, see? So, you know, you might end up just reporting, even though you're self-employed, through the return form just to avoid presumptions by the IRS. Also, also, David, uh, I have found that um, many people try to try to mix. They they uh, they so called they they put one foot on one side of the fence and then and then another on the other side. So in other words, they go ahead and make a demand for lawful money and they and they do their their tax returns and then they try to use their tax returns in order to get uh, you know future benefits from the Federal Reserve System and that's a no no. You know once you once you get away from the Federal Reserve System and its benefits, then, you know, you don't go back to it. Um, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, that's so. a good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and another thing that I've noticed is sometimes it would seem as though some of the IRS agents are watching for you to make a mistake, and they would like to take this and, and uh, blow it into a big example by attacking and getting you into and penalties, frivolous penalties, and, and things like that. And then um, especially if they can use that for an example to make a memorandum to the IRS agents that will disqualify this, which is actually the lawful remedy. It's, it's basically the only lawful remedy that's been written by Congress. So um, that's what we're really uh, teaching about here is how Congress has provided remedy from fractional lending and elastic currency in America. Now, what I mean by that is that I guess the simplest way to say it is on your return, you better make sure that your demand for a return is exactly equal to whatever is in the withholdings. And don't don't get it mixed up. Don't try and get your FICA and your SSI back. Those are like insurance premiums. 
And what I mean by that is if you if you pay insurance premiums and then you can't go back to the insurance company at the end of, the, of a year and say, hey, I didn't get into any accidents this year, so give me my premiums back. So you don't want to be treating FICA and SSI like they're withholdings. The amount of withholdings that was kept by your employer should equal the amount of your demand. And if you, if you have those in different amounts on your return, then what you're telling the IRS agent is you don't know what you're doing. And that opens you for an attack. And we've had, uh, you know, one or two um, people reporting that they, they got themselves into a mess and then trying to get the IRS to recalculate is, you know, after they've found you in a mistake is, is really a lot more troublesome than just not demanding more or less than what is there on the withholdings account. Yeah, um, that's right. We've seen actually numerous people uh, try to play games with the uh, with the 1040 and and try to do very weird accounting schemes in order to uh, to get additional benefits. Uh, if you're if you're out of the Federal Reserve system, all of these. Uh, Benefits you get, tax credits you get for dependents, and God knows what what else. It's been so long since I've done one. It's like, uh, but y- you don't need any of that. You know, once you if you've redeemed every paycheck, then you've redeemed every single bit of uh, income that you've touched. So, or you've made a demand for redemption, so you fulfilled the law. So, what need do you have for? Um, I've got three dependents, or I want this earned income. You, that's what I mean by uh, one foot on either side of the fence. That's that's how you mm-hmm. that's how you lose out. Yeah, that's what I was saying. In in one case, the there was a a report that uh, the suitor showed me that the uh, SSI was aware that he had made no income when he was up in in six figures, okay? That's what he was earning in lawful money. But he had no taxable income, and the the Social Security Administration reported that to the IRS. But apparently the Department of Justice and IRS attorneys themselves were allowing rogue agents to actually badger and, you know, get garnishments and and attacked bank accounts and so forth. And it all began with him having different amounts of money in his claim for a refund and the amount of withholdings. That's where it began. And his troubles began there. If he had those equal, we we can't really tell, you know, what would have been, but it might have been if he'd known what he was doing when he did his original mathematics that, uh, he would have saved himself a whole bunch of heartache. But my point is that the Social Security testimony was he made no taxable income. And this has even been uh, done with Camp 2 refinancing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a real interesting testimony for redemption of lawful money, is that um, a couple, uh, the husband was redeeming lawful money, the wife was waiting until, waiting to see how it went before she did, but she was earning a lot less money. But during the process, they decided to refinance their home through uh, Obama's HAMP to refinancing laws. And so they filled out the application, and the bank 
couldn't use his income, even though he was getting a lion's share of the earnings that they were bringing in. So what it, the result was, because they had to follow Obama's laws, they actually uh, refinanced their home with ridiculously low payments based only on the wife's income. And so it turned out to be a, a great deal, you know. And, and uh, we've had several of these suitors in, this, in these predicaments where they decide to refinance their home, do this based on the lesser spouse's income as being the, the payments on the refinanced mortgage. Yeah, that's right. So the so the um, what what you're basically saying, David, just to restate, is that since United States notes are are can't be used as a reserve currency, the bank could not use that as income in order to calculate the amount of income that the couple was making because it it whereas United States notes are income to the couple, they are not Federal Reserve based income. So that's that's the difference. Yeah, they're, they're both a legal tender. The United States note and the Federal Reserve note are both a legal tender, and they'll both go buy you uh, a loaf of bread. You'll get the same amount of bread with that dollar, okay? But mm-hmm. so, so in other words, they're a legal tender. In other words, you can gain a legal title um, to the property, so that you know you have a you have the use. But uh, one one trust system has certain obligations and liabilities and benefits, and the other trust system has different obligations, liabilities, and benefits. Yeah, and the Federal Reserve note is a dual-purpose note. It, it actually functions as a U.S. note and functions as a Federal Reserve note at the same time, and your endorsement decides which side of that note is going to be used. And you've spoken a lot more to that, so uh, can we hear about the, you know, if somebody pulled out a dollar bill out of their wallet and looked at it, what they'd be looking at? Okay, sure. So, you know, if you pull out a dollar bill and you look at the face of it, let's say you're looking at George Washington, you're looking at the first president of the United States. So you're looking at the alpha. And if you look very closely, he's flanked by an omega. So you're looking at the alpha and the omega in, 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 um, in symbology. Okay, uh-huh. and ab- above his head is an altar because it, it's your choice. You're the one who's going to have to choose. Are you going to be true? Are you going to be the widow to put her two mites in to be true to the treasury? Okay, or are you going to intercourse with a third party to your love feast? In other words, the serpent in the garden. Okay, the serpent in uh-huh. the bank. Are you going to intercourse? So if you fish out of the so called left side of the boat, Okay, look to the left, there's a Federal Reserve seal. Okay, then you're intercoursing a third party. And now, your Constitution, people hold up that beloved document, it now wars against you because in Article 1, Section 10, it says, you know, that they can't create a law that would abrogate, um, you know, obligations under an existing contract. So if you voluntarily engaged yourself in contract to a third party, well, then you did it to yourself. Okay, so then the Constitution is not going to help you because you've entered into a, a contract that has certain liabilities and obligations and benefits. And and the reason why, you know, you have to file a 1040 because, okay, you, you received the benefits and now you're a trustee. You become a trustee for the uh, 
for the uh, Federal Reserve System, and they want you to give a yearly accounting of how uh-huh. you've handled their property. So that 1040 is the yearly accounting that trustees giving to the beneficiaries of how uh, the property has been handled. But if you fish out of the right side of the boat, okay, it's different because you, your obligations and your liabilities are different. You're not you're not uh-huh. engaging um, in, in in a private banking scheme. So. They're both a legal tender, but 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 each it, it's a separate trust system, and um, and it's interesting because Congress created this trust system and gave the choice to the people. That's what FDR did. He gave they they handed the choice over to the people, and so ultimately it's the people, you know. So if you look at it from a standpoint of fraud or being defrauded. In a sense, the people defrauded themselves because they've been making the wrong choice for so long. But but you could look at it another way, and you could say, well, if you didn't know you had a choice because your your mom and dad, your your forefathers fell asleep to the to the law, or maybe they didn't know the law, then right. you didn't really have much of a choice, all right? Because the the second and third generation is completely completely you know blind and deaf and dumb to the to the reality of the situation, and. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know you have a choice, then you really don't have a choice. So there you uh-huh. go. And that's that's John twenty one eleven. John twenty one eleven that we're talking about one hundred and fifty three fish on the right side of the boat and you can compare that to hemisphericity of the brain. Um the functions of the brain uh between the right and left hemispheres will uh are are very different and so um, I get into some of that. I just wanted to recap uh, that you can look on tinyurl forward slash uh, tinyurl.com and you can look at DMV Patroon, DMV Patroon, one word, and that'll be the uh, career autobiography. And, and that's really packing a lot of information into an hour and 16 minutes. Or you can uh, put in uh, Fed Remedy, F-E-D-R-E-M-E-D-Y, and get this little video that we're talking about today, which packs a lot of, of information into one minute. And just spend, you know, five or ten minutes and uh, carefully uh, looking at the source documentation. Then you can go to lawfulmoneytrust.com and get a look around there. You can sign on for free as a bronze member and then upgrade to silver or gold as you start getting more and more interested in that uh, highly specialized student and uh, mentor teaching. And then uh, and you can learn about trust law there too. Michael Joseph kind of carries that side of the um, teachings and, and I get into the redemption of lawful money quite a bit there with some videos. And then there's also some coffee chats that are on a YouTube channel and I think that's called Lawful Money Trust is the name of the YouTube channel. And you can get some uh, some of our candid, uh, well, we just uh, have some fun discussing the benefits and uh, the ins and outs of redeeming lawful money. I have, the, yeah. I have those links posted on the website right under your okay. picture. So. Well, thank you, Angela. Save and you uh, yeah, to sure. tutor one and that lawful money trust video. The Lawful Money Money Trust video? Oh, yeah, that's right, the introduction. Yeah, and um, so 
we we got quite a bit of uh, ways for you to explore this and uh, to learn a lot more about it and see if it really feels right to you. And uh, my presumption is that it does because uh, you're getting out of a, a debt and guilt sacrifice-based system um, into uh, the freedom of uh, love and, and peace and joy in when you start and lately I've been enjoying some videos on YouTube by Dan Winter because he's an electronics engineer and he's actually been characterizing and quantifying the uh, the emotion of bliss and uh, he's got some amazing uh, compression and braiding DNA theories that uh, explain the idea of, you know when you when you're having fun how time flies well how can time be so flexible and he's talking about superluminescence where um, by braiding according to the phi ratio or the Fibonacci series, you can actually compress um, the waveforms of the Good electromagnetic evening. field. Can you hear me the... now? What's that? Hello. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, that's all right. Hey, David. Yeah, David, that's, David. Sorry, that's just our uh, trolls, you know, or... David, okay. David, before you, you, you go, I'd, I'd like, or, or I wanted to just point something out to you. Um, okay. You know, you talked about the Federal Reserve notes. Um, they were redeemable in gold at one point. Okay. Now the, the law has changed that. Now they are redeemable on demand, and, and the benefit of making your demand is opting out of the taxation scheme. Okay. But you, can, you, can you talk briefly um, on the um, the forty two dollars and twenty two cent earmarking of gold, so that people can understand that there actually is a backing here, and and then and then elevate that and and speak to the FDR, please. Okay, well, in in nineteen thirty three, FDR uh, had the gold seizure. In nineteen forty four, um, nations were declaring what was equivalently a mutually declared bankruptcy. Um, called the Bretton Woods Agreements. And so I think it was 44 nations in 1944 that declared this bankruptcy. And, and things were going along fairly well um, through World War II and so forth and, and uh, until the 1970s. And, and somebody, I think it was uh, de Gaulle in France, uh, was actually condoning this practice where the dollar was worth different amounts of money, international and uh, domestic and foreign. So you could go to one window and, and cash in your dollars and then go to another window and, and buy dollars and then go back to that window and cash them in and start making money on just the process of walking from window to window, in other words, domestic and foreign. Okay, okay, just, just stop there. Stop there for yeah. one second, please. So what you're saying is, like, for instance, today, an ounce of gold, is is roughly let's call it thirteen fourteen hundred dollars. I I don't know what it is, right? Yeah. But let's let's call right. it thirteen hundred dollars, right? So what you're uh -huh. saying is, is they were buying an ounce of gold at forty two dollars and twenty two cents, and then they were going to the gold window and exchanging it for thirteen hundred dollars. Is that what you're saying? No, that would be on the exchange rates today. Um, they were doing that equivalently, but the discrepancy between these uh, amounts was, uh, you know, the gold rates was way less. And so they called uh, together a meeting of financial ministers in 1970, uh, maybe 74, and these meetings uh, went through 1976 or 1977 and resulted in the amendment to the uh, Bretton Woods Agreements. 
And I've got the Senate report on that that I've been reading over and over over the years. And uh, what really happened was they got off the fixed ex gold exchange rate for the U.S. dollar domestic and foreign and went to the floating exchange rate, which was based in SDR, special drawing rights. And at that time, they set up the, uh, the IMF trust fund under United Nations. And this is where they put a whole bunch of the domestic gold into that trust fund. And at that time, gold would be worth around $42.22. And it, since it's still held there to be put back into the system at some future time, it's still earmarked at $42.22 for fine troy ounce. And this is kind of hard to believe when you think, well, if you're going to go buy and sell gold, you're talking $1,300, $1,400 or whatever it is today's spot. But I can tell you how to verify it yourself. Just plug into a search engine, Fed Assets Current, and you'll pull up a one-page report, and it'll have four or five footnotes underneath it. And if you look at those footnotes, footnote number one is about the $42.22, and footnote number two and three are about special drawing rights, SDRs. Now, the special drawing right that is actually backing the international um, exchange rate for the U.S. dollar, and now uh, all, quite a few currencies, um, that SDR, I define it as the measure of a society's conditioning to blindly endorse the private credit of the local central banks. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful, and it really deserves some thought. It's the conditioning of a society to blindly endorse the private credit of their local central bank. Now, today, the SDR is based in what I call DRIAP, and I made up that acronym about the currencies, but you can tell what nations are the, forming the basket. Now, it used to be uh, some uh, 20 nations that were good, uh, you know, social security nations, and uh, now it's been five. It used to be uh, BRICS for a while, which was Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, but now it's DRIAP, which means the dollar, renminbi, yuan, um, Euro and the uh, pound sterling, dry up. That's what I call it, D-R-Y-E-P. But that's my own acronym, just so I can remember. But you can tell what nations there are by the names of their currency. You got the United States, you got um, China, Japan, um, the uh, Europe. The Euro finally got into the SDR uh, presentation. Now what that is, uh, and then uh, England finally got into it with Europe. I mean, so, you know, Europe was always staying out of the Euro. Uh, I mean, excuse me, England was always staying away from the Euro, but now they're joined together in the uh, SDR scam. Okay. So now here's the way SDRs can be explained in insurance. Now you ship a Rolex watch and you're shipping it to uh, Russia through China. Okay. It gets lost somewhere in China and you shipped it from the United States, and so you make an insurance claim on that Rolex, and who's to determine which currency it is that's going to determine the value of that Rolex. So that's what the purpose really of the, uh, the, uh, the special drawing right is, is to evaluate, evaluate things in international currency and value. 
And uh, so that there I used an insurance uh, example. And when you think about it, when you've got private credit in your wallet and you don't demand lawful money, what you're doing is you're promising that you're not going to uh, take that, that uh, you know, $500 of your paycheck. You're not going to take that and demand it in lawful money. What you're going to do is you're going to pass that insurance, the, those bills on for their, um, their security and, and confidence-building measures in the Federal Reserve onto the grocer or whoever you're paying that money to, you know, the, the yard work or whatever, you pay it. And you're going to pay that on as private credit from the Federal Reserve, which is basically an insurance policy because it goes unclaimed. So you're making your claim when you demand lawful money. You're, you're, and that's why the bank has to set it aside as a special deposit by law. I mean, I doubt that really happens. But sometimes it will, you know. Um, I use the credit union going, the whole entire chain just, you know, going right under um, after they were uh, realizing that they had not been doing that. So you can get in some deep trouble with the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. And, and uh, I think I've uh, related some of this to the recent $500 million fines on Wells Fargo Bank, too, issued by the, uh, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. They're not managing their risk management according to the, uh, the new standards put out by the final rules of the Basel II Accords. Well, so it goes, it goes much deeper. It goes much deeper than, than what, you know, most people, they look at it, you know, on a surface level, and they say, ultimately, most people are going to just say, okay, what do I have to write on the back of my check to do this? And, uh-huh. you know, and that is a, is a problem because if somebody comes, you know, knocking on the door and you have to explain yourself, then they're going to be like, okay, who gave you these words? Okay, you don't uh-huh. really know what you're talking about. And it's not hard for anybody to, you know, you, all you got to do is listen to most people for five to ten minutes and you'll realize that they don't know what they're talking about. All right, so... You know that's why we well, teach it. We, we taught it. We taught it for free. For, I mean, we still do teach it for free. Uh, but yeah. we found that in order to really get into the nuts and bolts, um, we basically set up a charity. That's what it really is. Uh, and um, and you know, if somebody has to spend a penny, they'll spend you know fifteen twenty hours to learn what they've uh, what they're. If it's free, they won't give it a second thought. You know. Right. So, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's just human nature. Huh? Something to add to that is you can go down to Office Max and get the stamps up like you'll find in the uh, video. I'm looking at the stamp on the uh, signature page now, and that's at the 1 minute 33 mark, and that's on the signature card of your bank. You put that redemption, redeemed lawful money, and all transactions through that account can be deemed uh, as redeemed lawful money. But you get that stamp made up today. And you can start using it, and it's it's good and clean if you start January 1st, I mean, because you're not calculating uh, some redemption and some not on your tax year. So, you know, just get used to using that stamp, and you're not going to get in any trouble for that stamp at all. I mean, you're not going to hear anything back from it or anything. And, and you know, the worst I've heard is you got to wait 20 minutes while the bank teller tries to figure it out with the bank manager. And then they come back and say, okay, now we see what you're doing, and, and 
and then they go ahead and cash your paycheck or whatever. And so, you know, the you're not doing anything illegal. You're actually citing the law that is current law, and it has to stay current law because it's the remedy from elastic currency. But you start using that stamp, yeah. I was going to say, um, one of the things that I've grown accustomed to doing, especially if anybody ever asks me something, you know, especially if it's a clerk. I mean, I'm not there to educate clerks. And if yeah, somebody's yeah. ignorant, the Bible, the Bible said, if a man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. It's not my job to educate him, right? Right, so, right. Okay, so if I'm dealing with the clerk and they come up to me and they say, "What? what's this, okay? And I just tell them, oh, I do that for tax reporting purposes. And uh, and then yeah. I can pretty much say naughty night, sweetheart. You know, I mean that's that's how I look at it. I, I'm not there uh-huh. to teach the clerk their job. Okay, so all right, right. There you go. And you can just ask the next bank out to the dance. You know, so uh, if you if you got a, a bank that doesn't want your business because they're worried about you doing something weird they don't understand, then just there's a bank on the next corner. So that's that's another way to look at it. Um, but my point really is that if you start using the stamp, then you're going to start developing your confidence and security, building measures in your own record. And that record of your redemption and your demand is, is very uh, powerful in law. And so um, one of the things that I teach in my lesson plan, and a lot of, uh, a lot of folks will graduate into this lesson plan where they're paying me to, to show them, uh, well, one, uh, true identity, two, uh, record forming, which includes refusal for cause, and three, redemption of lawful money. Okay, these steps, when they're used in conjunction, um, offer you a much better ability to contract and prosper in your life. So um, a lot of people, when they get started, they'll just start with this stamp, and you're not going to get in any trouble, and you're not even going to be confronted until you start using that, say, after a year. But once you finally got a year of demands made, then you're ready to actually start making your tax return um, return the entire withholdings. So, um, you know, it's yeah. And, and, and during that time, you can get on the websites and take lessons and watch videos. And go ahead, Michael Joseph. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, we've had students that have gone, you know, six, seven years in a row now um, mm-hmm. with getting all of their withholdings back, um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's sort of a testimony for, for my own sake. You know, I can remember my wife thought I was out of my mind. And, um, you know, her daddy was, you know, I can't believe you're listening to him, you know. But, uh, but when, her, yeah. when her status quo changed and she came to me and asked me if I would help her, uh, you know, do this, and she went to the mailbox, you know, for three years in a row and got all of her withholdings back, she she quickly learned that I wasn't as crazy as she thought I was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, you start improving your ability to understand that this remedy is is true, in fact. And in other words, you get your head out of this world of debt and start understanding what lawful money is and what value is and what substance is. It used to be represented by gold, but gold is really just a metal. You know, it's got certain values because it's hard and it's hard to mine and it's scarce and 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 it's it's pretty to look at and, and things like that and, and so well but hold on a minute hold on a minute david yeah. the, the goal Go the gold concern the gold concern is connected to the bank of international settlements and we 
that's another layer in there because they they got tired of transferring. You know, uh, international bankers got tired of actually transferring the physical property, so they created the BIS in Switzerland, and essentially they're they're just you're transferring paper paper, which which is a uh, indicative of the interest they hold in the actual property. So there is a connection between the BIS and. Uh, yeah, but, but anyway, I, I just touch on that, and I, I'm moving on. Yeah, and you know, in the, in the '70s, when they were doing the uh, SDRs and transferring from gold to SDRs, um, there was a comment in the Senate report that some believe that gold will come back into the system, and and my proposal is that yes, it is back in the system, and it's found in data silos and server farms all around the world that are supporting the internet. You've got gold in there. Gold in every circuit board, and, and even copper too. I mean, copper's a little bit better for the contacts because it doesn't wear out and it it's, holds up to vibration much better than the, than the gold does. But there's plenty of gold back in the system in the cerebrospinal fluid of cyberspace, and uh, so it's this is the sort of thing that I find exciting when you come across these uh, revelations, epiphanies, and, and higher understandings of what money is, what value is. And, and how you can uh, avoid these trappings of the debt system. It's, it's just a, a real uh, nice thing to leave behind you, get your head out of that world of debt. Yeah, one other thing too, David, I'd just like to add that came to me is that for many years now you've heard people go on and on that the Federal Reserve System is a fiat system. And uh-huh. these yeah. people don't know what they're talking about. The Federal Reserve System is not fiat. In fact, the Federal Reserve System is backed by real property, and and each Federal Reserve note reflects a mortgage on real property held in the United States. So, Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, if you want to know the truth about it, United States notes are fiat because United States notes are literally only backed on the promise to pay from the United States government. And that's why why they've Uh been so obfuscated because – if they can take it out of your um, memory and out of your clear line of sight, then you won't you lose sight of your of your remedy uh, to the to the federal to the the Federal Reserve system overlay. See, the Federal Reserve uh-huh. system has its own cities and districts. It's an overlay. So, you know, yeah. when you look at it like that, then then it becomes quite clear. So, all right, go ahead. Well, that's the the link that I was telling you not the link, but the search words on any search engine would be Fed Assets Current. You're looking right at it. <laughs> you know, there there are assets backing this whole system. And what I'm saying is that, you know, if you're on the Internet right now, which I presume you are, okay, you're actually beneficiary of these assets. A lot of them have been cycled through China, through the clean rooms of China, fabricating wafers, okay, into microchips that go into the chips that go into the um, data silos and the server farms. See? So, you know, that gold is serving you if you're listening to me right now. Yes, I, I understand. I understand completely what you're saying is that, you know, that's why they said that, you know, we don't we don't need – Congress is the one who set it up, and Congress under the Constitution has full power to regulate whatever they want to call money, all right? They got they, – they can do that, all right? So when um, 
they say, look, you know, what we're really going to trade on is the trust of the people. What they're really trading is your is your good faith and credit, your trust. All right. So, uh-huh. I mean, if you want to break it down to its core root, it's your trust. That's what they're banking on. And uh, and so <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's gone too far. Okay. Well, yeah, I think think so. You know, I have the hour and sixteen minutes video where I, I just start touching on some of the stuff that makes me excited about this career field that I've invented, and I believe that you're in part of that, uh, specializing in, in all those old trust law books and, and actually coming up with what are very impenetrable traditional trusts and that you've had uh, examined by attorneys, and, and uh, they see they say that those, those are perfectly good impenetrable trusts, you know. And so we're well, providing – yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say is that um, we've actually gone a little further is, is we've actually uh, – whereas we, we – we, you know, a, tr- a good trustee is never going to go, never going to um, let the general public know who the beneficiaries are. And, and that, of course, is uh, – is, I mean, try to figure out who the beneficiaries are of the Federal Reserve System. Forget it, because the trustees are doing their job. They're not going to let you know. It's, that's their job to protect the privacy of their beneficiaries. So, it's uh, so that's good. Kudos on them, right? But what we've gone ahead and done is we've gone to different banks and we've shown them copies of our of our trusts so that they can understand the nature of what we're up to here and uh, and given them to them to review for as much as two weeks and. You know, uh-huh. we've actually had one one uh, credit union come back and say to us that, uh, yes, we know exactly what you're doing, but, you know, the amount that you are um, actually running through here is not going to harm us one bit. We've got billions of credit. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. they understand that most of the people are asleep to this remedy, and they got no problem anytime soon. You know? I get it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And so the... The website you want to get uh, registered in bronze is lawfulmoneytrust.com, and uh, you can read the front page there for as a visitor, and you can get in there um, and start understanding what you'll be exploring as a paid student if you choose to get into a wonderful learning experience about this. Well, I think that's David. David, every time every time Angela opens up to the general public for questions, it's it's just a free for all. So uh, I'm going to ask you some questions and set you up. I'm gonna I'm gonna do like Johnny Carson, and okay. uh, and and you be the guest. And I'm just going to ask you: uh, Can anybody can anybody do this? Is there any like is there any status you have yeah. to have in order to do this? Okay. No, there isn't. Um, I think that. Uh, the best way to answer, are you a U.S. citizen? Can a U.S. citizen do this? That's one of the common questions. Okay, of course, this is for member banks, so that's kind of lower on the scale of member bank as far as uh, artificial persons go. That's a bit lower on the scale than even uh, U.S. citizen, if you're going to try and uh, make some distinctions. I, I, I don't really make those distinctions anymore. I think uh, the simpler the remedy, the better, and so I get rid of some of the the fluff, you know, the thing about United States as a corporation since 1871 and things like that. 
um, there may be some factual evidence about the municipality of the District of Columbia and so forth, but it doesn't really do anything as far as uh, convincing the IRS to send you a full refund of your withholdings. So I just kind of um, take a lot of the patriot mythology and dross, even though a lot of it's factual, and, and set it aside. I mean, I just don't like even spending the time discussing it anymore. Uh, I understand exactly what you're saying. Okay, so so let's say that I am a manager of an LLC, which I have created to do some service for the general public, right? And the income that's coming into that LLC, can I can I can I make a demand for lawful money and and, and redeem that? Um, tell me about that. Yeah, it's it's cleanest to do that as you open up the bank account for the LLC. That's where you would want to make the demand, and uh, and then you just uh, from there you simply keep an understanding of the business practices so that you're not doing things um, now. Uh, for instance, like 501c3, like a church there, um, there was some problems, I think. This was back in the early 90s when I was noticing that. There was a, a mega church and I think several mega churches that were, but one was being made a big example. And I remember thinking that uh, since, you know, since they were saying they're, they're non-501c3, which would be similar to, the uh, redeemed status, okay? You're being out of that um, tax-exempt uh, government religion. and uh, But some of the uh, congregants would, of course, be declaring their, um, you know, their tax exemption according to 501c3. So you, you'd lose a lot of congregants, for one thing because they wouldn't understand why they have, they don't get their tax exemption back because they, they work for a corporation. You know, they just go into that particular corporation on Sunday. And so um, the, the thing is that you would want to keep all the transactions of that account coherent with the understanding of redemption, in other words. Um, okay, so, so, so every check, that, let's, say I, let's say I perform services, and I get paid a check for my services. So when I went to deposit or uh, when I went to place that uh, check in into an account, I would make a demand for lawful money, even, even if I, uh, you know, was putting that, that amount on the account, I would still make my demand for lawful money and make a copy of uh, the front and back. The bank is basically my repository, and I can go and make demand drafts to, to, to remove that. And, and when I remove it off the account, I'd make a demand again. Because every, every time I'm touching any commercial instrument, I'm making a demand for lawful money. Is that, is that fair enough? Yeah, if you sign a naked contract for endorsement, then you can count on them counting on your endorsement. Okay. Um, meaning, in other words, uh, you... You've actually uh, you've you've actually given them endorsement. You know, you endorse private credit if you didn't make your demand. Um, so I think the point would be that what I made earlier was that uh, if you can um, simply uh, well, just a moment. I, I got a text here and it started to distract me. Um, you use the stamp instead of your signature. I was using the stamp above my signature for a long time. And now, 
for a lo- the longest time. I don't really sign my name very much, but um, I've been using the stamp. I pull out the stamp out of my pocket and use the stamp, the rubber stamp, the red rubber stamp for my signature. And whenever I sign a digital pad, I write very clearly in large letters, as large as I can, lawful money, period. That's my signature. So, you know, it's kind of hard to mistake that demand. And then if some people, well, actually, nobody gives me a hard time about it. And that's what I mean by your your posture and your confidence and your stature. I mean, if you know what you're doing, then people don't give, give me a hard time about it. But I've got my answer ready if they do. And that's, well, that's that's how I sign things like that. Well, I think I think the UCC the UCC has a has a definition for signature, and it's uh, basically any mark that you adopt in order to authenticate a document. So, you know, if you if you choose to create a stamp, and that's how you are going to sign documents from here on out, who, who's to tell you how you can and can't sign a document? That's your business. Yeah, okay? but by doing right. yeah, by doing, you're going to integrate it into your understanding. And by integrating right. it into your understanding, you're going to be giving tellers and clerks permission to abide in the law. And if you understand that, then you give them permission to. And they're always looking for permission from you. And very few of them are, well, as soon as they find you're asking permission of them, they're going to resort to what they feel safe with, you know. So don't yeah. ask for permission to do this. Some of the early students that we had, uh, or that I had here local to where I am, uh, they would go in begging the tellers, you know, the tellers say, what's this? And they they essentially begging the teller to give them what they want. And if you're going to ask a teller who's afraid they're going to lose their job or permission to do something, don't even do it at all, you know, because they're going to say no, all right, because they're going to to think that their job is in jeopardy. I generally, if it comes down to that, I just say, listen, I don't recall asking you for legal advice, but, um, you know, if you need to go talk to your boss, I'll wait. And generally speaking, once they run it up the flagpole, you know, they come back with, hey, I learn something new every day. So um, Uh that's been my experience across the board. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one of the suitors texted me, this new career field I've invented. <laughs> so I think that's, that's pretty clever. Yeah, it's it's basically, you know, I've, I've become a broker with the truth. Well, that's, you know, here's the thing. Um, you know, anybody who goes out and, and starts to um, forge the old paths, the paths of old, at first, they're going to seem very foreign, you know, to most people. You know, I mean, yeah. really, you know, that you can do this? But, I mean, go back to your Bible. I mean, your Bible is running the show here. And it says you can never be tempted beyond remedy. So um, any law that is put on that book has got to have remedies. It's got to have obligations, liabilities, and benefits, and then, of course, remedies. So... You know, the old thing that has beat up people for many years, failure to state a claim upon which remedy can be given, the old 12B6. Well, your claim to to demand lawful money is not, a from the trustee side of things, from the government, the trustees of the government. You have made a claim in which the law supports. Yeah. They can't can't 12B6 that. And um, uh-huh. yeah. you and I both know that every single one of the libel of reviews that we've ever uh, been a part of, 
most of the time um, the Treasury and the and the IRS won't even show up because what kind of argument do they have, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, they don't right. have an argument and, to the truth. And Yeah, and one of the more powerful things for um, alleviating uh, any frivolous penalties is to invite a meeting. Okay, let's discuss this. Yeah, that that was the interesting thing is that when we first started asking for an audit, boy, that really threw them for a loop. It's like when when can we have a sit down to go through the books? Uh, we would love to do that, you know. And then you know, I can remember the the days of old when when we first asked that, and and the the lady came back, the clerk on the other side came back and said, "Sir, we don't do that." <laughs> like, okay, where have you been for the last fifty years? <laughs> yeah, really. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so anybody can do it. You don't have to have a special status, you know, to do it. You could be uh, um, treasurer of a corporation or manager of an LLC. You could be an individual capacity operating under a Social Security number. Um, Okay, so there's nothing special. Whether or not you have a checking account or you don't have a checking account, that doesn't matter one bit either, you know. So, Mm -hmm. um, so. You talked about uh, keeping records. I mean, why is it so important to keep records? Well, that's the only authority there is, is in the record. I mean, there's something called a court of record. And this is probably the uh, the real metaphysical journey that I've been doing that has, has actually brought my attention away from the basics of redeeming lawful money, is that um, I've been uh, establishing uh, a court of record called the trustee of the resulting trust, and that's that's a very interesting uh, aspect of the longer career autobiography video is is the ability to, when when you find a breach of trust and have found a deviant oaths of office for virtually um, all the state judges in in Colorado and all the federal judges they've been altering their oaths of office and they've been doing it in a slight way. Only an attorney would spot right off the bat. So the layman, they're they're busy trying to fool the layman. This is a breach of trust, and that opens the door for if you've got a record. And and what we do with the uh, lesson plan is in lesson two record forming is we utilize the clerk of court and publish the record on Pacer. So there you've got a court of record, meaning that it's it's all right in the open to be seen, and. The court of record is a court of authority, and the court not of record is a court of voluntary compliance. So, so you're saying you if I if I go into if I go into one of these district courts down there on the county level, and and the judge doesn't have a valid oath to the people and to the treasury, basically that's that's a court of consent, and and it's voluntary compliance to that court of consent. Now whether or not a nexus has been created um, by use of the Federal Reserve System such that they have me in the status of a debtor or not, that's that's yet to be um, um, understood. I mean, that's, we, we you know, but, the, but that's what you're saying. I mean, these, these based on the fact that these judges are, uh, I mean, they, they're basically viewing the people as all debtors of the Federal Reserve System at this point. All right? So, yeah. 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 That there's so, such a vast majority endorses the private credit that it can be presumed until you have a record otherwise. Exactly. That's that's where I was getting at. Forgive me. I, I, it took me a long time to get there, but that's where I was getting. That's the beauty of keeping a record because 
if you've got your record filed in some in some court that's of, of higher authority, then all you would need to do is go pull certified copies of that of that record off of that off of the uh, from the clerk, and you can lodge that in any lower court and say, you know, back to sleep, boys. Right? I mean, well, um, it certainly behooves you to study rules of evidence if you're going to make claims to the court of record and you don't have a record, then you're not meeting rules of evidence. So that's a good thing to take a look at if you, as you develop in yourself in these, especially around rules uh, 800, um, 803, 804, you know, exception to the hearsay rule. I mean, what, what would a judge listen to and, and what's a judge supposed to listen to and what's a judge supposed to ignore? Okay, so you can learn these things and then just start applying them to your court because you're going to be the court of record. And so you might as well conform to, uh, you know, the social norms as far as rules. So, well, I like know, how you do said that. that. Go ahead. I, I, I like what you said about uh, uh, applying them to your court. And that, therein lies the, the liability and the responsibility and the accountability to yourself and your family. You know, if you're going to, if you know, people complain about, well, they did this and they did that. Well, hold on a minute. Yeah. And when I, did you when did you sit down and create your own court? Okay. When did you become a court of record? You know, when did you start to take this by the the bull by the proverbial horns and start to keep your own record? And and otherwise, you're going to be at the mercy of somebody else's record, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, that's uh, well. I, I think uh, I've been I'm a little worn out from talking, so. I'd like to get off the call soon. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to ask? Oh no, no. I think you've covered. I just wanted to ask questions that I know that are on the on the mind of um, of many a listener, at least when I talk to them. And uh, okay. no, I, I think that's it. Well, thanks. One person uh, has the their hand there. up here. On if you want to take one question, we have one person with their hand up. Okay. Go ahead. All right, you've been unmuted. Go ahead, guest seven. You've been unmuted. Donaldson has one of those stamps. I went. Oh God! Never mind. It was a troll piece of crap. That's, uh, that's sort of the the thing that I've exactly. So you know, if you're, <laughs> I, I'm going to jump off the call now. I've had a very long day. So uh, okay. Okay. So, all uh, right. Well. All right. Well, well thank you so much for coming on. Right. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Angela. And thank uh, you, Angela. Oh. So, you know we gotten the information out there so people can follow up and and then follow up through your site too okay yeah so, thanks a lot for having us on oh great thank you so much for coming on i'm right. sure we'll have you on again soon bye that'll be wonderful bye-bye <laughs> thank you for all you're doing you're you're helping people get out of problems you know with the irs yeah. and whatever and that's yeah, the whole thing. Again, you you know you want to give out your website again. It's uh, well, yeah, we the have savings to suitors. Go ahead. Yeah, that's one word. Uh, saving the suitors club dot net, and there that's just free. Uh, and it's got a donate button if you want to donate some money. And then lawful money trust is a more directed and uh, paid student website, but you can register as bronze and and learn a lot and and get started. For free. Very good. Okay. Trust.com and speakingstudentsclub.net. All right, and then you can go to YouTube and just type in uh, David Merrill, and you'll get whatever videos he has up there. Oh, great! Yeah. 
All right. Uh, and the, the one I've been talking about tonight is called The Joy of Redemption in Two Minutes or Less, and it's really packed. Yeah, I know. We didn't get through all of it, did we? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> but um, I, I was kind of planning on being able to get the audio, and then I, I dropped the call and got a little disorganized by that. Oh. So I'll catch up with you later, Angela. All right. Very good. Thank you, David. Have a great okay. weekend. Um, okay. My, I guess we'll... Pleasure. Thank you for coming on. We'll do it again. All right. right. Very good. Good night. Well, what do you guys think? I'm going to unmute you all now. Uh, Let's see here. Let me me allow that there. So now if you want to chat, you can. Say whatever you want to say. Um, chat's been unmuted so you guys can chat if you want to otherwise uh, I don't know we can call it a night Uh, go home early for a change huh it's only 7.38 here so we've done an hour and 38 minutes anybody else want to chit chat or talk or say something press star 8 and I'll unmute you. Otherwise, we could just call it a night. I'll give it a few minutes. Always so much fun. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, if anybody would like to say something, press star eight. Uh, We'll give it a few more minutes. Otherwise, I guess we'll call it a night. I don't know. we got a big old lineup. We're booked up until June, through June. And a lot of new people coming on should be interesting. Um, I guess that's it. If nobody else wants to chime in here or say anything, I guess we'll close it out. We'll say have a good night. You are on David's Talk To channel. Okay. Um. (laughs) Okay. Came straight over from his channel. David, who? Oh, David Merrill. Yeah, okay. All right, everybody. I'm going to say good night. Have a good weekend. Have fun. And um, love one another. Help each other out. Remember the golden rule. All right, everybody. Have fun. Bye.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.